0: I'm 36 years old, and so I've gotten to the point where I'm going to talk about the good old days. <laughs> some of you are like, oh gosh, what a total eye roll, I know, for some of you. I want to talk about the 90s, the good old 90s. In the 90s, there was this thing called a mason jar, and the mason jar was used only for canning, right? That's all it was used for. <laughs> Maybe some guy had it in his garage with nuts and bolts in it, but all it was ever used for was canning, right? And now today, what are mason jars used for? I have some examples up here of mason jars are used for things like um, that situation, Um, (laughs) lights like that. They're used, I mean, this is just a jar. Keep going. You can scroll. You can plant flowers in them now. Uh, you can make a snow globe out of this. Forget just strawberry jam. You could pack your salad. They're super trendy. A mason jar is like the it thing. Uh, 101 mason jar craft ideas. You could even make this into a lamp. Um, the next one, soap dispenser, clearly. And lastly, a bird feeder. You could take this puppy, turn it upside down, and feed your birds. TJ, who was here last week uh, at their house, they don't have glasses. They have a a cupboard full of mason jars and like the the super trendy, like metal straws because they're so cool. TJ and Jackie keep us up on the up and up because we, you know, fall behind. And Jackie's the kind of person that's like, So, about those socks, Jill? (laughs) (laughs) She really helps me, but the super trendy mason jars as their glasses. Um, And when I think about the uses of a mason jar in the 90s verse today, they're so, so different. We just got back from Disney, and while we we're in Disney, the Lord spoke to my heart, and he said, I'm still creative. I'm still creating, right? The thing that we just thought was for jam <laughs> could be so much more, but today I want to talk about how our lives, sometimes we look at our lives, and we're like, all I am is like a canning jar. God's super creative with your life. There are things that God wants to show you about your life that are more than you could ever come up with. It's more than Pinterest could come up with. It's more than even your mom could come up with with your life. Um, if you're a, a young person here, doesn't your mom have all kinds of ideas about what you could be or <laughs> what you could do <laughs> or what you, know, what, what you should go to college for? God has even more ideas than that. Ideas that are so much bigger and so much better. And I wanna talk a little bit about what God can do with your life if we surrender. We're going to be, if you're an old-fashioned person like me that carries the actual book with you, we're going to be between Luke chapter 5 and Luke chapter 18. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus is calling his disciples, and he sees a group of men out on a boat, and they're doing what they know to do with their fishing poles. They're fishing for fish, And Jesus sees them, and he calls out to them. He says, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. (laughs) What? (laughs) We've never heard of this. And yet God took something that just seemed like, oh, this is what I do. I fish. He says, I'm going to take you, and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. They couldn't have come up with that idea if they sat down all day and Googled it. That idea hadn't been presented to the world yet right? Nobody could have given them a manual and said, here's what you should do with your life, Peter. You're going to be a fisher of man. Well, what does that even mean? God deposited that idea into their lives, deposited that calling into their lives. There are things that God has for you to do that only he can deposit into your life. There's no manual for your life because you're so unique. There are no two Jim Williams. There are no two Chip Gaskins. There aren't And their life calling doesn't look like mine or Diane's or Robin's. We're all different. And the ideas are more than 101. So he calls them. And here's the thing. The the Bible says this. It says they left. What does it say? Let's see what it says. It says they left everything. It says they left everything to follow him. Is that up there in Luke 5? Kelly's like, oh, whoops. (laughs) And go to the next one. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So God gave them the idea for their life, and they left everything and followed him. There's a second example that comes really soon after that in Matthew chapter 5. There's a tax collector, and he goes to the tax collector at the place where he's working. So imagine Jesus coming into your job. He says to him, Matthew, I want you to come and follow me. And then it says the same thing. It says he left immediately and followed Jesus. He left everything and followed Jesus. You could put that next one up there. And and again, leaving everything, he rose and followed him. A lot of us have that that daydream, right, of quitting our job. But (laughs) that's not what this is. This is him leaving all of his security. He left everything, got up, walked out. I'm sure people were making fun of him. This guy's straight crazy, leaving everything he has, every security in finances to follow Jesus. He left everything, rose up and followed Jesus. He says, okay, Jesus, whatever you have for my life. Can God have your life that way? Can God have your life that way? Because God is still creative. He's still taking things that we thought were just average and making them into things that we never thought possible. He's still taking lives. He's still creating spaces and and making places for people. Communion is the great equalizer because in communion, when we eat the bread and we drink the juice, we're honoring God, but we're also looking that we are all one in Jesus. Super important here, the call of God on someone's life to be a pastor is no different than the call of God on someone's life to be a Sunday school teacher, to be a teacher in a public school. The call of God on, on people's lives is, is an equalizer. Communion equalizes us again. We're all covered in the blood of Jesus. I am nothing without Jesus. I don't stand up here because I'm a good speaker. My mom will tell stories about how incredibly shy I used to be. Like my face would turn red when anybody would talk to me. I don't stand up here because of anything I am, but everything Jesus is. Everywhere that we go is only because of what Jesus is doing in our lives. I met a new friend this weekend, and uh, I just met her at an event. And so I went on her Facebook, and she refers to herself as minister so-and-so. Back in the olden days, we used to call each other brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so to to let everyone know that we were the family of God. I would like if we called each other minister so-and-so. Because Mary is a minister as she is a professor in in the college. Judy is a minister as she talks to her neighbor. You are each ministers of the gospel. What I'm doing up here is super easy. You are all uh, loving Jesus. You came here on your own volition, on purpose. But what God has called you to do is to go into every area, every corner of central New York and be a minister. You are a minister to your children. You are a minister everywhere you go. And if you start to look at yourself, I I am a minister. Chip is a minister to his workplace. Diana is a minister to her uh, place where she lives. You are a minister everywhere you go, a minister of the gospel. You bring the gospel. I don't work where you work. I don't go where you go. I'm not supposed to. You are a minister. There's, there's no, oh, pastor. No, we're all called. Every single one of us have a calling on our lives. Every single one of us. I'm not more useful than you. We are tools in a toolbox. There are no levels here. I don't have more access to God than you do. Prayer is open for all of us. A place at this uh, altar is open for all of us. That's the communion. That's the great equalizer. We are all called, every single one of us. And we're called to do something unique and amazing. I'm going to brag on God for a minute. When we got here, I'm going to try to make this part a little bit short. When we got here, I felt like I was supposed to get a job, obviously, because John wasn't getting paid. And we thought, of course, I'm going to go get a job. And the Lord spoke so specifically to me, do not work. So I tried anyway. I tried to work, and I have all these funny stories. I won't get into it now, but God closed door after door after door. And then God miraculously provided a salary for me that I'm still receiving today. Glory to God, only God. And only when you listen to God can those things happen. You can't conjure them up. There's no manual that tells you not to work, and God's going to miraculously give you money. That's not how... In the natural, it works, but in the supernatural, it works. And then last year, I, I was taking one day a month to go spend time with God. And I would go somewhere, and I would just spend the entire day seeking God once a month. And on one of those times, one of those prayer retreats, God spoke to me so specifically. He said, Jill, I want, I want you to give me one day a week. One day a week you want me to take out of my busy, busy schedule and spend with you? <laughs> Impossible. Like, and I really started to practically think about it. There's no way. And God reminded me, don't you work for me? Don't I provide your salary? Didn't I make a way for you to do what you're doing? And so finally, after lots of back and forth considering and counting, like, what will that look like? I said, okay, God, one day a week I'll spend with you. So on Monday mornings, I don't do anything. I don't go with anybody else. I'm sorry if you have a doctor's appointment that day. I'm not driving you. I can't do it. I spend that time with Jesus. And it has transformed my life. So one day, I'm spending time with Jesus, and... (laughs) We've been on all these adventures together, but this particular day I'm at a park and I start to walk in this park, and God says, I want to show you three people that represent spirituality right now in the world. I want to share with you those three people. The first, uh, and there's a slide for this the woman who's stuck, the woman who does not move. I'm walking in the park and it's wintertime, and there's a woman and she's standing here. And her husband is down playing with her kids. And the entire time I walked around the park, I came back and she was still standing in the same place. She was obviously exhausted. She had a young child. Her husband was playing with her. Many of us are people who do not move. And here's why. Spiritually, we do not move. We have a list of excuses. And I'm sorry if this feels like a pinprick, but sometimes needles are good, okay? Okay. Your husband is not Jesus. Secondly, your wife is not your connection to Jesus. Your children, how did I say that? Don't sacrifice Jesus on the altar of your kids. Sometimes we sacrifice Jesus on the altar of our kids, and that means that you give more to your kids than you give to Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. You cannot be a good mom if you're not on your knees. I would rather you miss a basketball game and spend an hour in prayer than to make it to every single basketball game because that will make more of a difference than attending that game. If we're not spending time with Jesus and all we're doing is investing in our kids and not investing in our own personal spirituality, then we are stuck and we are not moving towards Jesus. If we are depending on our, every excuse is, well, my husband wouldn't let me do that. If God calls you to it, God will make a way for you to do it. Your husband is not an excuse for you not to do the things that God has called you to do. Your wife is not an excuse for you not to do the things that God has called you to do. Some of us stand stuck for years. When my kids are older... When this happens, well, God, I will someday. Someday, God, I will serve you. But, God, you know right now that I can't do what you asked me to do. If God has asked you to do it, friend, please do it. Some of us are completely stuck. If you don't fully cultivate your relationship with Jesus, you're not helping your kids. Can God actually have your life? Or will five years from now Jesus walk by and find you in the same spot, standing completely still? There's a Bible story that I want to equate to the person who is stuck. In Luke chapter 18, there's a story of a widow. And this widow obviously has no husband, and she has a problem. So her list of excuses on why she can't follow God are are long, just like ours are. And some of our excuses of why we're stuck to the rest of the world, they're legitimate. But to God, he says, I don't care what's in your bank account. I don't care what it looks like in the natural. I'm going to do something supernatural. Hey, don't get a job. Hey, spend a day with me every week. He's going to make a way to carve out things that you never thought possible. So in Luke chapter 18, there's the story of the persistent widow. Then Jesus used this story to teach his followers that they should always pray and never lose hope. Here's this person who is stuck. They are not walking in prayer and they're not walking in hope. They're walking in excuses. My health, my situation, my this, my that. Once there was a judge in town, he did not care about God. He also didn't care about what people thought about him. In the same town, there was a widow who kept coming to the judge. She said, there's a man who's not being fair to me. Give me my rights. But the judge did not want to help the widow. After a long time, he thought to myself, I don't care about God and I don't care about what people think, but this widow is bothering me. I will see that she gets her rights or she will bother me until I'm worn out. The Lord said, listen to what the bad judge said. God's people cry to him day and night. God will always give them what is right and he will not be slow to answer them. I tell you, God will help his people quickly. But when the son of man comes again, will he find those on earth who believe in him? Here's a widow who could very easily say, you know what, I'm stuck. But this widow goes to the judge and she says, please help me. He says, no. Does she stay stuck? No, she goes again. God, please help me. Again, God, please help me. And finally, this evil judge who doesn't care about her, doesn't care about people, responds to her. How much more will God respond to you? If you are stuck today, God help me. If he doesn't answer, go again. God, help me. And if he doesn't answer, go to him again. And if he doesn't answer, go to him again. And if he doesn't answer, go to him again. But if we stay stuck, what was the purpose of this parable? So that you wouldn't give up. That you would always pray and not give up. Is your excuse that you're single? Is your excuse that you're married? The excuses are so long. And I'll tell you, God has something that only he can think of that he wants to do with your life that you can't come up with on your own. But if you're standing still and you're saying, I'm not gonna do anything, this parable is for you. Go to God again today and tomorrow. Be persistent in your pursuit of God and he will make a way where there seemingly is no way. We say, I'm here, I can't move, I can't transform, I can't take time for Jesus, there's no way. Then you'll be there next year. And the year after, and the year after, and before you know it, your life has passed you by. Today, come again and again and again to Jesus. And it doesn't mean He's a genie in the bottle that will give you everything you ask for, but He's gonna transform your heart. Can God have your life, even though your list of excuses is long? There was a second person, and there was a dad who was walking in the park, and he had a dog on a leash who was running this way into the snow, and he had a toddler here who was running this way, and he was being pulled in both directions. He wasn't leading. He was being led. If God has a direction for your life, then you have to say no to other things. I'm not saying kids and dogs. They're great things, but You have to be led by God and not being pulled in this direction and that direction. And busyness is a disease in the church. Is God leading you? If he is, you're gonna have to say no to this or no to that and walk straight ahead to what God has for you. A lot of us are distracted and we're pleasing everyone. And it's a disease to try to please other people because when we're... I got another good quote. How does it go? Pleasing everyone else doesn't please God. It pleases everyone else. And when we're letting ourselves be pulled this way and that way and this way and that way, years go by and we're still being pulled, but we haven't accomplished the thing that God has prepared for us to do. And we don't even realize it because we don't even know what that thing is. He may have called you to be a fisher of men and you've never even thought of that idea. There's an idea for your life that nobody else can tell you what it is. You could spend hours and hours with me, but I can't tell you what it is. It's between you and the Lord. He designed you. The Bible says that he before before you were formed in the womb, he knew you. Before. He's got a, a specific plan for your life. And if we're letting the world pull us to a soccer game, to Netflix, to our phones, to this, to that, to this, to that, time goes by and we've never even gotten our direction from the Lord. And we're walking after the things. Somebody gives you a good idea. Sure, I'll go help the homeless. Maybe that's not what you're designed to do. Sure, I'll go to this meeting and that meeting and get involved with this and start this career and go this way. Maybe that's not what you're called to do. And it's a disease to think that we have to stay busy to please God or we have to please other people. And there's a Bible story in Luke 18, the next part, that talks just about that. There's two men that come into the church, and the one man uh, is super righteous. And he comes in and he's a Pharisee, he's a church person and he comes into the temple to pray, and he stands up at the altar, and he says, God, thank you for all I have. Do you see how many soccer games I've attended? Do you see how many Wednesday nights I never miss? Do you see the offering that I give? Do you see the photos I post on on Facebook about how I help the homeless? Do you see me, God? I'm so wonderful. I've done so much for you. The list is so long. I have a resume of greatness I've done for you, God. I thank you that I'm not like that guy. He has done nothing for you. I looked at his Facebook, and he really is not even pleasing you. I saw him drinking. Jesus, I'm good. Oh, it's so good to be in your house. I'm so good. And then the other man comes in, and he knows who he is. And he comes in, and the Bible says he can't even lift his head to heaven. He says, God, I'm a sinner, and I know it. God, save me. And in this parable, Jesus says, which man was righteous? It wasn't the list, the pedigree that made him righteous. It was the heart condition. And so you may be distracted and pulled and doing all these things. And you could work in kids' church and take offering and be a Sunday school teacher and be uh, doing Bible classes and doing this and doing that and doing, 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 doing. Go, 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 going to hell because you don't know Jesus. If you knew him, he would say, stop that. Get over here and do what I've called you to, be, to do. Church, we have to wake up to the reality that God has a purpose for your life. Can God actually have your whole life? Or are we pretending with a list of things that look good? I ministered in kids' church for 12 years. God's used it. He used it. That's why I have props all the time. He used it. He turns everything for good. It was good. But when I was 16 years old, God specifically called me to preach. He said, child, I've called you to preach. I could spend a lot of time going that way. The, the turning point was someone says, oh, I thought you were a children's pastor. And it hit my heart like, Whoa, no, I'm not. That's not what I've been called and created to do. Just because you're good at something doesn't mean you're called to it. You could be really good at something, and Jesus says, I want to use you over here where you're weak, because that's where the Holy Spirit can move, right? We have to get on our face before God and say, God, I am a mason jar. What could you do with this? Because I think it's only for strawberry jam. I think my life could only be used one way, but God says, I have a miraculous plan that you can't even come up with. There's a third person, and this was my favorite guy. I saw this sweet older gentleman in the middle of a Monday sitting on a sunny park bench, happy as could be, smiling. You could tell he was kind as I was walking up. I wasn't scared at all. And hello. (laughs) Hi, dude. What's up? (laughs) Sweet guy. And the Lord spoke to me about the spirit of being oblivious. And there's a, there's a, this man doesn't mind. He blends in, he's super kind. He's good. Everyone thinks he's good. But what is he doing besides existing within the rules of the world? And there's a, a story in Luke 18 that goes along right with this. Luke 18:18. 18, 18. This is the story of a man who said these things to God, he said, or to Jesus. This is a parable that he told, and he said, Jesus, since I was a young boy, I have followed all the rules. I'm a good person. I haven't committed adultery. I I have done all the things. I've obeyed my parents. I've done all the things all my life. (laughs) Like, I'm a good person. Many of us stand at that place. We've done it all right. Like, we're good. And Jesus says to this man, he says, take everything that you have, sell it, and give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And it struck this man right to his heart, because he says, that's impossible. You look at Matthew, got up and left, left and went with Jesus, gave up his, his income, his everything, followed Jesus. The, the people on the fishing boat, the disciples left and followed Jesus immediately, and this man says, says these famous words, That's impossible. How can anyone be saved? If you really mean that I have to give up everything, how is it even possible to be saved? Like, that's impossible. And Luke says this famous scripture that is not about shooting more basketballs, jumping higher, running faster, shooting a puck better. It's with God, this is impossible. With man, this is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. That's talking about salvation. It is impossible to give up our lives. But with God, it's possible. He says, when you empty yourself out completely, it's possible. We take our lives and we fill them with things that are super important. Our kids are super important. But sometimes when we make our kids more important than our time with Jesus, there's now something in our jar. And, and God might say, I want, I want to make you a bird feeder, and it, but I can't because you care more about your kids than you do about me. And every time I try to use you as a bird feeder, it's going to disrupt everything. You've made your kids your God. Psalm 14 says, the fool says in his heart that there is no God. And we think that doesn't apply to us, right? It applies to us when we put things above God. It applies to us when we find our hope in things besides God. We're saying there is no God. I put my hope in my kids' success. I put my hope in my kids. I put my hope in my hobbies. I find my joy in that more than I do in God. And we fill our lives with things. We fill our lives with a love of money. And we say, I have to make money. Church, I'm not going to leave my kids a lot of money. I'm going to leave them a legacy of loving Jesus. There's going to be nights when I don't make dinner on time because I'm making dinner for homeless people. There's going to be days where I can't buy them sneakers because I have bought stuff for people in Liberia. There's going to be days when our car is not in the driveway because I lent it out to someone. That's the legacy I'm going to leave my kids. They're not going to get a lake house. They're going to get Jesus. So we take it and we say, No, I need this high paying job because I need to follow, I need to help my kids. And Jesus says, Will you surrender even money to me? And that's why money is in the Bible so much because we hold on to it so tightly. That's the reason I tell you that God provided a salary for me. God! provided money for me to do the work of the kingdom. And if you would surrender your life to God, I'm not promising you millions of dollars. I'm not a prosperity preacher at all. But I know that he says that if he takes care of the birds in the air, he's going to take care of you. That he knows what you need. He knows the hairs on your head. And he knows that if you surrender your life to him, he's going to give you the very desires of your heart. So we fill our lives with hobbies. We fill our lives with money. We fill our lives with events. We fill our lives with wanting to look good for other people. And we fill our lives with a cord that strangles us. Our entertainment, our phones, our movies, our silly games. And then we say, okay, God, there's plenty of room left for you in this jar. You can use me, God. How is this going to be a soap dispenser? How am I going to put a candle in here? Maybe God wants to make you a bird feeder. What's going to happen? There's not enough room for God. The only way that God can can use your life is if you take everything out and you lay it before God and you say, everything I have, Jesus, belongs to you. God, you want my wardrobe? I'll leave it in Liberia. God, you want my car? I'll give it to Nolan and Jess. God, you want my food? I'll give it to people in, in Utica. What do you want from me, God? I will give you anything. I'm not holding on to my house tightly. I'm not holding on to anything tightly. God, it's all yours. And that's when we're emptied out and we say, God, you matter more than than people. You matter more than time on my phone. Friends, if we're not praying, people all the time say, if you just give God 10 minutes a day, I'm telling you, if you give God an hour a day, I'm saying if you spend days with Jesus, if you put on your calendar days off of work so you can go and spend with God. I had an amazing African friend in, in college who used to take days off from work and she would get dressed up. She would put perfume on. She would go sit in the attic, close the door, and spend the day with Jesus. Guys, there's nothing better and it's available to every single one of us. What are we doing with our lives? We carry our phones more than our Bibles. We've been to all the events. And when we finally say, God, it's all yours. My entire life, money, kids, relationships, everything. When I'm finally got nothing left. God's going to give you a plan for your life that no other person can give you. He did it for me. I'm not any, we're all equal. We're all ministers of the gospel. He says, I want to take your life and I want to use it in a miraculous way. This is impossible, God. But Jesus gives one more example in Luke 18. Luke 18, 31, he talks to the 12 apostles He says, listen, I'm going to show you the way to do all these things. And he predicts his death. He says, I'm going to go to a cross. And I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to be, oh man. Listen to these encouraging words. I'll be turned over to the non-Jewish people. They will laugh at me, insult me, and spit on me. Encouraged? (laughs) If you give your life completely to God, people are going to tell you you're stupid. People are going to tell you you're just straight nuts. They will beat him with whips and they will kill him. But on the third day after his death, he will rise to life again. The apostles tried to understand this, but the meaning of it was hidden from them. There's a verse at the end of the story of the persistent widow that the persistent widow story was, will you pray and not give up? At the end of that, it says, but is anyone on earth still seeking God? Is our church seeking God? Are you seeking God? And the apostles couldn't understand what it meant. Well, you can't understand what it means until you seek God. There's a story I read recently about some missionaries uh, who felt the call of God on their life to go to Iran. And they, they do all the preparation to go. They're finally on the field. They get off the plane. They get in a taxi, and the taxi's taking them to where they're going. And in the taxi cab, the cab driver's asking them why they're here, and they explain that they're here on mission from Jesus. And the cab driver turns around to them and says, You are so foolish. What are you doing here in our country? You're going to be killed. There's no hope for you. Why would you come here? And the missionary turned to him and said, I'm already dead. I died before I came. Do you know how powerful that is? I, Jill Pelkey, am dead to this world. I'm already dead. God, you can use my hands, you can use my feet, you can use my voice, you can use my brain, you could put me in a cave for the rest of my life, you could put me on a pulpit, you could put me on a plane, you can have me, God. I am not tied to anything. Everything I have is yours. And that's what those missionaries were saying. God, here's my life. They were dead before, dead to the world, alive in Christ. And now the spirit of God living in you directs your every move. They were already dead go ahead and kill us. It doesn't even matter because I live for Jesus. What is it we're hanging on to? Are we stuck? Are we the woman or the man who is stuck and says, I have all these excuses. I can't possibly. I'll preach the same message next year if you want, but I hope you hear it today. your kids, your husband, your job, your money, your stuff. It's not an excuse to not give your life 100% to, to God, to die to God and say, here I am. The person who's busy, get unbusy and get in the presence of God. The person who's living a good life, get along with Jesus because a good life isn't enough. Death is enough. Jesus showed us that on the cross. The God of the universe stepped into time and space to be ridiculed, made fun of, to be whipped, to be beaten. He had the ability to rescue himself, and he didn't. He was the example of what our lives should be. I will lay down my life. can God have your life? Or does he only get parts of it? Can God have your life? It's only possible through him. This is where it gets really hard because it is impossible. It's impossible to actually give it all up. It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That's why it's supernatural. There was a day in my life where I remember God asking if I would surrender my children to him. Spiritually, just to say, God, you are more important than my precious babies. And he is. Doesn't mean I don't love my kids. I fiercely love my kids. But God, you're more important. God, you're more important than my husband. God, you're more important than money. If you choose me to be poor all the days of my life, then I will rejoice If John and I were following money, we would not be here. If I were following my educational goals, I would not be here. There's a time where I realized I was dead to the world. I have no resume. My resume is that I follow Jesus. God, how are you going to make a way only he can do it supernaturally? Will I trust him? Will I empty my life out and say, God, what do you want to do with my life? I trust that you are creative enough. I trust that you are big enough to show the design for my life. We have to give our lives to God every day. Every day. God, is there anything that crept back in my jar? Is there anything that I've made more important than you? And there are seasons of life where money creeps in here for me. There are seasons of life where kids creep in here for me. We empty ourselves out till there's nothing left. And if God wants to make me a bird feeder, make me a bird feeder. If you want me to make make me a snow globe, make me a snow globe, because there's nothing in here. I am dead, but alive in Christ. Let's pray. God, your word challenges us to give up everything. God, that's impossible for us Americans in Clinton, New York this morning. It is impossible. It is impossible. Many people right now are looking at their list of excuses. But God, you see every one. And God, you very lovingly cross out every excuse you very lovingly look at every excuse. God, you use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God, you take people who are in bad situations and you use them mightily. You, you take regular people. God, will you take us this morning? God, will you call some in here to be missionaries to foreign nations? God, would you call to take you to their workplaces. God, would you make us ministers of the gospel? Jesus. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you that you work in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts. God, we trust you. Can God have your life? Can God have your life today? I have decided to follow Jesus, not just on weekends, not just with parts of my life or parts of my heart, but I'm all in with nothing left. I'll surrender, God, whatever you ask to surrender. God, I pray that we would be a church that could be useful for your kingdom. And God, we can't be useful when we spend five hours in movies and zero time in prayer. God, I pray that your word would beckon us. That we would be obsessively reading our Bibles. God, I pray that we would get back to diving into your word. To spending time, gobs and gobs of time with you. God, I pray that in prayer, you would begin to reveal things to people, that you begin to strengthen people in their inner man, that God, as we seek you with all of our hearts, that we would find you. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us. God, I think of the, the story of the woman who touched the hem of your garment and was healed. And we have such access to you. We have access to the throne room, not just to the hem of your garment. God, we have access to the throne room. We come by the grace of Jesus. So God, I pray that each one of us would come and would sit in the throne room of God. And that God, you would begin to speak over our lives. That you would make dead things come to life. That you would use people who are feeling unuseful, make them useful. God, we ask that we would be able to surrender each and everything and area of our life to you. Help us to pray and not give up. Help us to serve you and not people. Help us to hear direction from you. God, you can have my life from this moment on. I want to ask if there's anyone here today who has not asked Jesus to be their God. Let's not ask Jesus to be their Savior, their Messiah. Is there anyone here today who would like to, for the first time, say, Jesus, I want to make you the Lord of my life? If that's you this morning, if you'll raise your hand, I want to pray for you. Is there anyone here today that would like to accept Jesus? Is there anyone here today that wants to say, God, you can have my life? Amen. Anybody else that would say, God, this life, you can have it. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care where it takes me. I don't care what other people say. God, you can have my life. Spurgeon was a great philosopher and preacher. He said, I would rather have five men on fire for God, given everything, than a church of 3,000. And this morning I would say to you, I would rather have five people in this room who say I am sold out for God and there is nothing and there is no one that will ever stop me or take me away from my Jesus than for this place to get super big. Because just a few people on fire for Jesus, a few people completely surrendered, will change the world. We won't change the world just following rules. We won't change the world making excuses. We won't change the world looking like everyone else. We'll change the world when we supernaturally can give everything to God, when we can immediately get up and follow him. Well, we can be like Matthew. We could be like Peter, who got out of the boat and said, okay, God, I will give you my life. I'm gonna close with a final prayer. God, we thank you for this time together. Set a fire deep in our hearts, God. You're more important than money. You're more important than everything. You're more important than what we can accomplish here on the earth because eternity is forever. This life is but a breath, but a whisper. God, help us to be a surrendered church. Thank you for this time, God. Thank you for your spirit ministering. Continue to move in our hearts. We love you. I just ask, God, that you continue to reveal your plan over people's lives this week. In Jesus' name, amen.